Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, stay with us as the sun gets set to shine. Mary, the guy heard. Here's the jump shot. Comes to Marley. A long three. He got it. He got it. Into Booker. Here's the three. Suzanne! Sir Charles. And he flies in for a wham, bam, slam. Bravo time. He got it. Welcome to 7 Seconds or Less, a podcast about the Phoenix Suns and the NBA. My name is Max McCauley and I am joined as always by my co-host. His name is David Nash. David, how's it going, man? It's going good, Max. It's good to be back and it's good to be recording after a winning week. What was the best moment of the week from you, Max? Yeah, that's a good question because I missed the Boston game live, which I think was probably the most fun win of the week. Yep. Although the New York, maybe, you know, maybe I'm overlooking New York. The absolutely pounding, even though it's the New York Knicks. Absolutely pounding somebody uh, in their own arena was nice, David. (laughs) It was uh, a fun week overall, but yeah, the Boston game was probably the highlight for me. But uh, should we move straight to the recap to talk about that fun week, Max? Yeah, I'll just real quickly point out what we're going to do on the podcast today. Um, We are going to go through our leaderboard, of course, before we go into sort of like a more uh, season-long leaderboard kind of, David. We're going to give our ratings 1 through 10 on kind of where every player in the roster has been versus our expectations. And I don't know about you, David, but going through the exercise was kind of weird for me because it's it's hard to rate some of these guys. They're trending in weird directions. They are. They're kind of all up and down. So I kind of ended up giving, you know, some of them a a middle grade um, to kind of even that out. But we'll get into that a little bit later and hopefully uh, the listeners will enjoy it and and agree and, and maybe disagree with some of our grades, Max. I have no doubt there will be some disagreement. <laughs> uh, and then we're going to touch a little bit on the West playoff races we are want to do lately. Uh, at the end, before we get to the recap, though, David, I just want to point out that my, my buddy Justin, he's an Aussie rules football player in Arizona, David. Love it. A sport that I know is near and dear to your heart plays for a team called the Arizona Hawks. They're doing her motion with our beloved Phoenix Suns. They're offering discounted tickets to the game on Saturday, February 8th against the Denver Nuggets. That's the two seed in the Western Conference on a Saturday night. You can check it out at groups.suns.com slash events slash Arizona Hawks. And David, apparently they're also going to demonstrate Aussie rules football on the court. Oh, no. I can't wait for all the talk on Twitter about this. <laughs> yeah, it should be interesting. But uh, yeah, go check it out. Support Justin. He's a cool guy. Uh, but all right, David, how about the recap? Well, I think I've got myself another team, the Hawks. That's uh, who, I, who I follow here in our pro league. So uh, happy to jump on the Arizona Hawks and uh, sounds like a great thing for people to get involved in. But this week, or overall, Max, I should say, the Phoenix Suns are 18-24 and 24 after 42 games in the NBA. So as you said, we're past the halfway point now and a good chance to check in with, with the players and how the team's going overall. But this week in particular... Four games. We went three and one. Ricky Rubio had a baby. Congrats to Ricard. And obviously, Kelly's concussion was the other news of the week. But it sounds like he's going to be back for the Spurs game tonight. Uh, We're recording just before that one on your Monday, I believe, Max. But we had the win against Charlotte, 100 to 92, where Kelly had 25. The loss to Atlanta, which was very disappointing, 110 to 123. Book went off for 39. 
The win against the Knicks, as you said, a blowout. Haven't had one of those for a while. 121 to 98. Booker top scored again with 29. And then the win at Boston, which I'm sure is going to come up quite a lot throughout this episode now that you've rewatched that one as well, Max. 123 to 119. They certainly made us sweat towards the end, although I'm sure knowing the result, you were able to enjoy that ending a little bit more, Max. But David, Book- I was so happy that I watched that game not live. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, was a, I was an absolute wreck in the ups and downs of that. I think with about 12... Uh, you know, a 12 point lead with, I don't know, however long it was left, a minute and a half or something, I thought it was done. And then all of a mm-hmm. sudden, you know, Book gives up a clear path and a few other costly mistakes. But Book did almost have his first triple job double of his career 39, 10, and 9. Ayton had 26 and 15. Mikel, breakout game, 26, 3, 2, and 2, with six threes. And I should also mention Ayton's 11 free throw attempts there as well, Max. Uh, to round it out, third in the division, three games above the Kings and an 11 half back from the Clippers. Tenth in the conference, uh, one game ahead of Portland, just behind the Spurs. Uh, and two games out of eighth, Memphis, who are currently sitting there. And 18th in the NBA, Max. Wow. So that's, that's a lot better than they've been recently, David. Although uh, 18 still sounds kind of sad to me. It does. It's it's below average, which isn't great, but we're, we're trending upwards, Max. I'm always happy with the trend upwards. Uh, how about we go to the leaderboard now, David? Do you want to go ahead and give us a quick overview of like, what the leaderboard looks like in general before we get into this week? Can do. The leaderboard, uh, Booker's about to pass 1,000 votes, so he is way out in front at the moment. Uh, Kelly, Ricky, and Aaron Baines are second, third, and fourth at the moment. Uh, DeAndre Ayton only has 45 votes, but I'm guessing he is going to change very quickly from 11th on the leaderboard in the coming weeks if he keeps playing the way he did this week, Max. And I think he's about to make that run. A few listeners have already sent their week 12 votes as well, which is uh, great for me and great for us and great to see everyone on board. But yeah, just looking at that, I think Ayton is ready for a big run here. But week 12, we're calling it for anyone who hasn't sent their votes in just yet. And it's the game I just recap Charlotte, Atlanta, the Knicks, and Boston. Max, how about you start? I'm interested to know whether you differ from me with your five votes here because I think it was tempting to go the other way than what I have. Um, I wasn't tempted at all to stray from Devin Booker, to be honest. I, he's just so freaking ridiculous right now. Yeah. Even in the game that we lost, uh, the Atlanta game, he was incredible. Uh, the Charlotte game, he wasn't very good in, but the other ones, he was all great in. And obviously, against Boston, he was. That, that was, I mean, I say this a lot about Booker because I think it's true a lot. That might have been my favorite all-around game from him ever in the Boston <laughs> game. He was awesome in the game. I know he committed that horrible clear path foul toward, towards the end. But he also, I mean, the ice in his veins on those free throws at the end, David, he even made the one where the ref, like, intervened. <laughs> like, he, he was so calm with those shots. I don't know if there's a son since Steve Nash that I've trusted more at the free throw line uh, with the game on the line. Yeah, I mean, I said I was nervous throughout. I wasn't really nervous about those free throws because he just had that steely look in his eye. And, you know, he's a 92% free throw shooter this year. So if you want anyone going for those clutch free throws, it's definitely Devin Booker. But, you know, they tried to ice him. As you said, they, you know, ran in front of his first one. They, uh, you know, had a, a huge break in play, which would really rattle some guys. But he just knocked those ones down. 29.8 points for the four games, 50, 27, and 91 from the free throw line, 6.3 boards, 6.3 assists. 
I really wanted to go Aiton. Uh, as I said, I, I, I couldn't do it just like you, Max. I don't think the case was there for him. I'm sure some of our listeners will because we're all voting, you know, a little bit differently here. Um, and, you know, I'm sure a lot of people would have been excited by Aiton's week and wanted to give him the five votes. But uh, book plus 15.3 team high for the week this week. And I had to give him the five votes, Max. Yeah, Aiton would be the fun vote because it's just so nice to see him starting to get to where we need him to be, yeah. uh, aggressiveness-wise. And, I mean, he, I won't, you know, bear the lead here. He's my four-star player, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, against New York, that was probably my favorite game of his career. Uh, Boston, not far behind that. I just, I mean, there were some, you pointed this out on Twitter, and you were very right that there were some lapses from him, particularly towards the end of the game. But just overall, the way he's attacking the game on both, on both ends is exciting. Uh, I, I think he's actually maybe, like, one of our best five defenders now, which is amazing. He might be one of our best three defenders, honestly. I was going to um, say, I'd put him three, maybe even top two uh, with Mikhail at the moment, just the, the way he's been playing. There's a lot of defensive mex- metrics getting thrown around on Twitter and things like that, which are all very positive. Don't get me you know, wrong, but you know, yeah. just need to see a, a larger sample size, I guess, before we start throwing him in those conversations. But as of right now, based on what we've seen, I, I think top three, clearly. Yeah, his impact on defense is clearly top three. I still, I don't know if I'd say he's like top three in terms of like being good at defense yet. You yep, know what I mean? Yep, but yep. definitely impact wise, I mean he is. A, I mean he's just a freakish uh, uh, mover, and and with that size, that wingspan, and you move that way, you're just you, it's whole, it's hard not to be a good defender unless you're totally lost like he was last year. So the fact that he's just even not lost, it's it's really you know it's showing returns quickly. The rebounding, you know, I don't care about ten rebounds. I do start to care when it's like sixteen plus rebounds. That starts to matter more. Yeah, means you're really impacting the game on both ends. I I just been really happy with what I've seen from him, dude. Especially if it's four point three offensive boards, yep. which is what he averaged this week, and he's he's hovering around four for the season, which is the really important one. You know, I highlighted on Twitter defensive. I'm with you, Max. Defensive rebounds are are pretty overrated, but down the stretch there, he had a big one against two guys. One of them being Cantor. Rubio got knocked to the floor. Uh, it was just a really key defensive stop that they needed to finish. And, you know, he battled for it. Cantor's a pretty good offensive rebounder himself. So, you know, those ones are really important. But, yeah, he was my four votes too. Uh, he was next best team high at 13 for the week. 22.5 points, 13.8 rebounds, 1.3 assists, and 1.8 blocks, which is quite important as well. That mm-hmm. seems to be uh, trending, looks like, the, to be the uh, word of this podcast. But uh, definitely trending in the right direction, Max. You know what stat I would love to see? I bet, I bet some teams have this. Uh, it would be a stat basically like uh, contested rebounds, uh, either you know caused by your team if you box out and help get one, or just gotten. Yep. That would be a really good stat because I think defensive rebounding numbers could be inflated on you know things like free throws, stuff like that. Yep. Um, but I felt like some of Aiton's rebounds were, were more uh, you know more productive this, this week than they have in the past. He's just uh, reaching right. reaching over guys and grabbing yep. rebounds, which is just great to see. But yeah, you're about to go to it, which I'm very intrigued by. I struggled with three votes this week, Max. So uh, lead us off and, and let me know what you've got. I'm guessing I know who you were struggling between. I actually wasn't struggling. I actually struggled between four and three a little more than I did between three and two. I think Mikel Bridges just deserves a spot outright. Yeah, um, he's been, he deserves to be higher a lot on our list. I think because you know every single person who watches basketball is, is subject to the offense bias over defense because mm-hmm. defense is just quieter. Uh, but Mikel Bridges finally brought in an offense this week, and the defense is just stellar as always. And he's a very deserving three star player. 
I totally agree with you, Max. 14 and a half points, shot 72% from the field this week and uh, 57%, I believe, from three, thanks to that uh, big game, I think went six of eight against the Boston Celtics. But, you know, as always with Mikel, also added in 3.3 boards, two assists, 1.5 steals, and almost one block for the week as well. The defense is his calling card, uh, and he keeps bringing it night after night. Good to see him step up. You know, we've had a lot of injuries in that starting lineup where a guy's had to go in and spot fill, uh, and they've really done nothing. And, you know, this was probably the first time this season where a guy went into the starting lineup and uh, really stepped up to the occasion. You know, we've got a note that it looked like Boston were, you know, essentially scouting that they were happy to leave him wide open because they they probably knew what we've been talking about quite a lot on the podcast, that he's, you know, a little reluctant to shoot. But uh, maybe he saw that coming and, you know, he was, he was firing him off. He got a bit of confidence and it's amazing what that can do for the ball to start go through all the net, through the net. So, yeah, he played all four. Uh, which is another reason why uh, I easily slotted him in for three votes this week, Max. Yeah, and I think the, the confidence point is such a huge one. Like the Mikel Bridges of two weeks ago is not taking that ball into the to the lane and hitting that shot to to give us the five point lead, the biggest yep. shot of the game. Like that's just not going to happen. Uh, but he has the ability to do it. I think that's honestly uh, Aiton's the most important thing on this team. Obviously, him improving, but Mikel's easily second, right? I mean, if we can finally get a three and D player who's actually a three and D player. On our team, that uh, would be go a long way towards uh, helping this team succeed. Yeah, I think we'll talk about obviously the two of them a little bit later, but I think they're the two guys. I know a lot of fans are, are looking at trades and, and bigger trades to to you know take this team forward, but uh, I would go with Mikael and Aiton as the two guys that can you know make a leap individually and and really make a leap for the team. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, they're, they're the key. But uh, let's get to the two-star player. I'm interested to hear who you have here because you said it was close for you. I thought this guy was amazing. I'm guessing this might be the same guy you had because I saw that you were in on him as well. Uh, Dara Sharish, David. Ooh, I, I really struggled with this one, but I went with Rubio. So give us give us your Dario because I do have him, not to give it away, but I've got him in my last vote here. So uh, give us the, the case for Dario for two votes this week, Max. Yeah, I have Rubio as my one star, so I thought he was also deserving on the list. Uh, Rubio yeah. just missed the game in Atlanta was the bigger reason why I put charge over him. Mm-hmm. Uh, just doing the yeoman's work, David. I was I was complaining to, to somebody the other day in, in person about how the Suns just don't have a lot of guys who are, do the, the glue guy stuff, you know? Yeah. They have a lot of guys who are more of the star type players, whether or not they're actually stars or not. That's just kind of their skill sets. But Dario's really been bringing that lately, especially this week. I thought in Boston he was huge. Hit some big shots. Got some tough rebounds. Same in the New York game. I thought he was very, very good. I think you, that was the game you pointed out how well he was playing. Uh, yeah, he's, he does a lot of things to get over, overlooked. Yeah, his third quarter uh, for the Knicks, and I think his fourth quarter against Boston, he just manages to to go on these little runs where he has you know a couple of buckets, a couple of assists, and and some good defense as well. So you know, I'll jump to it. You, you look at his numbers for the week: eight, six, and three. It just doesn't jump off the page. But that's the thing with Dario, unless you, you're watching. Uh, you know, his minutes and, and how he goes. And, you know, we've talked about this quite a lot on the pod is like, you know, when they go on those runs, who's on the court? And Dario seems to always be one of the guys that are sparking some of these things. So, uh, yeah, very much uh, deserving of your two votes and and my one vote. I threw Rubio in for the two votes, Max. Played the three games for the week uh, and we won all three. 
Uh, he was next best behind Booker and Aiton from a, a team high perspective net rating for the week. Uh, shot pretty well, which, you know, when Rubio shoots well for the week, we, we tend to win, Max. But 10.3 assists on the week as well. And he's just, uh, you know, diming up a treat this season. We'll get to, to his individual play for the season a little bit later. But I felt bad leaving Kelly out because... Uh, it was the start of the week, but uh, we've probably already forgotten how amazing he was in the Charlotte game. Uh, his line in that game was just incredible from a wing player. So feel a little bit bad, but you know, on such a good week where uh, you miss a couple of games, it's hard to sneak you into the votes, Max. Yeah, there were some weeks where he probably would have gotten the board from that game alone. Uh, but the Atlanta game, he was pretty poor. And then obviously, as you do, he mentioned, uh, missed the other couple with a with a concussion. I'm glad you brought him up, though. And uh, maybe we'll just go ahead and go to him now real quick. What do you think about the fact that the Suns have looked maybe the best they've looked in a long time without him on the floor? It's a really interesting point. I think he's a, a little bit of a ball stopper. Um, you know, at times, I think he can kind of go into Kelly mode occasionally. I think that Atlanta game where, you know, we kind of needed it. And, you know, in hindsight, we know that he was essentially concussed for the, the last half of that game now. But, you know, Booker and Kelly, just when there was no offense going, they kind of went to to the mode of just attacking themselves and, and mm-hmm. forgetting their teammates. One thing I've really struggled is, you know, we've noted on the pod, there's been a few comments from Monty and Rubio and I think even Devin Booker about guys, or, or maybe Baines, I think, guys not staying to the system, uh, you know, playing a little bit selfish, uh, you know, them forgetting who they are. And I've just, from who those comments have gone from, uh, you know, they can't be talking about Devin Booker because he's, you know, can do what he wants. He's got a green light. I've always, you know, struggled with who might it be that they're talking about. And I actually always come back to Kelly as the guy that potentially their guys are talking about. So I think it is worth noting that, you know, they've had this success um, recently, you know, we've talked about a lot. We did a lot in the off season when we tried to make the case for Mikhail starting. I think, you know, we very much went back on that at the start of the season because the difference between Oubre and Bridges was just night and day. You, you had to start Kelly Oubre. But, you know, there are things about Mikhail, his defense, um, you know, the fact that he doesn't really need the ball. You know, he gets a lot of his stuff off cuts, um, you know, hopefully in the future just shooting wide open threes, whereas Kelly's a little bit more board ball dominant. And particularly with Aiton back in the lineup, they may struggle with that uh, that chemistry a little bit, which will be really interesting to see probably tonight against the Spurs, Max. I think we've both always thought that Kelly long-term makes more sense as a, as a bench leader kind of guy. Yeah. It's kind of the, the game he has. First of all, he's a little inconsistent. So maybe we'll just go to him now. So we're going to do the, our scorecards that I alluded to earlier. Uh, yep. One through ten, based on our preseason expectations. So if, if a player is ranked to five, that means it's exactly the same as we thought he would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, going into the season, you know, a one would be much worse, 10, much, much better. So we're going to start on Kelly since we're talking about him now. I have him as a seven. Um, mm-hmm. the, think about him. He's – the reason why I think he's a bench guy long-term is he's just inconsistent. They would start – guys who are starters, you want them to bring kind of the same level of thing every single night. And obviously, you know, not everyone's going to bring the same level of thing every single night. But you want it to be somewhat consistent. Uh, Kelly's a little wild all over the place on, on what he brings. You know, on his good nights, he is great. He can be our best player. On certain nights, uh, and then other times he's just you know again like the Atlanta game. I think he went four for sixteen. And he's just not there, and he's, and he's kind of hurting you out there. And you kind of want that guy to be on your bench more than your starting lineup. So if he's not on a particular night, you know you're not as reliant on him. And also you kind of want uh, we've made this point a million times over the off season. You want the guys around your big stars, you know Booker and Aiton being our big stars, to be glue guy type players. 
And uh, that's why Mikel Bridges has always been the best fit with him because of what you mentioned. Doesn't need the ball in his hands, plays defense. Uh, if, if we keep seeing the Mikel we saw from Boston, uh, the Boston game, I think it's it's going to be a move they need to make sooner rather than later to, to inject him in the starting lineup. Yeah, I definitely wanted to ask you the, a, a question about the starting lineup going forward. Again, I don't think there's any question for the first 42 games of this year that Cali Oubre should be the, the starter at small forward. You know, mm-hmm. I'm sure some listeners are, are yelling uh, while listening that, you know, maybe we can play them both and, and not play Dario. Yeah. You know, it, it could work. You know, I'm still a guy that probably wants to start Dario. And if it's a certain lineup, you can certainly end with Mikhail and Kelly, which Monty has been doing quite a lot, which I love. Um, you know, it's fine to end with a different lineup to, to what you start the game with. I scored him an eight just to get it out there. Um, you know, he's got career highs in field goal, three point free throw attempts, rebounds, assists, steals, points, PER and true shooting percentage. So, you know, when we signed him relative to expectation of, of you know, him getting paid and coming back and, and wanting to still see improvement from him, he's probably done, you know, everything that we could have asked for, Max. I'm, I'm not sure if there's anything that you would allude to that you wanted out of Kelly for this year that he's not doing, other than probably what you just did, which is the consistency, Max. Yeah, I would like to see a little more consistently uh, defense from him. Yep. Um, still the lapses are there, and that may just always be something with him. But, I mean, I gave him a 7 as we'll go through on this. I didn't give anybody higher than an 8, so very high on Kelly, obviously. Yep. He's been really, really good this season. Uh, he's improved some of the flaws in his decision-making, which plagued him before. I mean, there's still some that are there, but I think he's smoothed out a lot compared to last season. Yep. And probably a lot compared to before that, even. Uh, the uh, the advanced numbers still don't love him, David. I'm not 100% sure why that is. I think maybe some of the decision-making stuff and the lapses. But overall, I mean, I, I think you have to be happy with him. He's definitely earned his contract, wouldn't you say? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, probably just to throw in this tidbit, I'll, I'll throw it back to you because you're the one who worked it out. But, you know, there's been a little bit of talk about extending Kelly um, before the contract comes up, which Max cannot happen. And I will let you tell the listeners why. Yeah, his contract's not long enough. It has to be at least three years, I believe. Is that right, David? I know yes. two years cannot be extended. So yeah. they're going to have to wait. I, I'm not overly concerned about it because if he keeps earning this contract, then I think the Suns are going to pay him. Mm-hmm. And from all by all accounts, he loves being here. I mean, he's like the, the captain of our Valley Boys, you know, happy train when everything's going yep. well. So <laughs> I don't really expect him to be gone if he's playing well. Uh, I still think it's nice to have him on this two-year thing because you want to you know see where he is before you give him his next contract, uh, I think. But... You know, we'll see. I think he still has all-star potential. You know, I I noted during the week, you know, him at his peak, which you could say about a lot of guys, you know, him at his peak is probably an all-star if he does that 82 games of the season. Like, you look at his season numbers against, you know, someone like Jason Tatum, who's in the conversation for the all-star, and and they're not very, you know – you know, too far apart, I should say, you know, Tatum's obviously younger and don't get me wrong. I'm taking Tatum, you know, 10 times out of 10 out over Kelly Oubre, but you know, just to jump on the back of your point, if he does bring consistency to his game and we don't get those duds every now and then, particularly seems to be when the Suns lose, he doesn't step up. Um, you know, there is a chance that he's still, you know, got the potential to be an all-star type player. And that's probably where the convo starts and finishes in terms of whether he's a, a starter uh, long-term because he's almost in the the window of becoming our, our next TJ Warren, where we feel like he should be a six-man rather than a starter on this team. And if Mikhail keeps playing 
uh, the way that he did against Boston. I think the conversation is going to get really, really tough. But have loved his defense, a little bit more passing. As you said, he's he's gotten a little bit better there. But I've just loved his overall attack. You know, there's certain games where they just need a guy to attack the rim, and he's just been relentless this year. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's definitely the best thing about him, his engine. He's always attacking, and when the Suns are going through slumps, he's like the one guy who often won't be something with them. Mm-hmm. So guys like that are important. Um, let's move on, though, to – how about Devin Booker, David? You want to talk about uh, the best player on the team? <laughs> I would love to talk about the best player on the team. I'm going to just throw it out there. You've given away that you uh, haven't given more than an eight. Uh, it, it, we're all going to differ, guys, on on how we vote this. But relative to expectations, uh, I'm giving Devin Booker a 10. I just don't – what more can you say about him? But uh, I'll let you give your score, and then I'll throw a, a question your way to hopefully frame the discussion, Max. Sure, I gave him an eight. Uh, the highest score I've given to anybody tie with somebody else we're going to get to soon. It's really just a reflection of how high my expectations are for him, David. Yeah. I mean, I, I, there was a chance that he, for me, there was a chance he would have averaged 30 points a game this season on some more efficiency to this. So mm-hmm. that, that would be a 10 for me, I guess. Um, I, but th- please don't let that this be any sort of indictment on him. He's an obvious all-star. He's, in fact, if, if he was playing the way he's been playing lately, the past 10 games-ish, It'd probably be a nine or a ten because he's been so free. Like that Boston game was a true superstar performance, David. Some yep. of the crap he was doing as a playmaker, and he had this one pass. Uh, do you remember the one to check the allo oh. come in from the other side? That was just an incredible freaking pass. That was like Luka Doncic, uh, Damian Lillard stuff. And probably should point out it was on the money for Diallo to actually, you know, jump and dunk that as an LU, but I think he was just as surprised at the pass coming and how wide open he was. He kind of took the pass, uh, you know, took a couple of seconds to, to realize what was going on and then went up and, and laid it in. But uh, it would have been even more of a highlight if he managed to see the pass coming and just uh, jump up and, and alley-oop it in. It was such a gorgeous pass, man. That, and that's the kind of stuff, if, if he can get to the point where he's making that kind of pass consistently and he shores up his three-point shooting, especially off the dribble, that's how you become James Harden, folks. <laughs> that, yeah. That's what you got to do, and uh, that's why it's so encouraging. But, oh, yeah, what's your question about him? Yeah, I mean, I've just given him a 10, so I feel I can I can do this and it, hopefully not be too counterintuitive to me giving him a 10 uh, for my overall expectations. But should we talk about improvements? Maybe, you know, nitpick at Devin Booker a little bit on the season so far, Max. Yeah, well, so I'd say that the two areas would be the three-point shooting. Which mm-hmm. I mean I don't it's kind of hard to like, just like, yell at him be mad at him for that because it's just his shots aren't going in. There are a lot of close misses with him from three, um, so I, I think it'll probably regress a little higher towards the mean. But uh, that's probably one thing. And the other thing, and this is the biggest one by far, David, it's some of the decision making when it, whether it results in turnovers or, or just bad ticky tack fouls. The guy's got to stop using his arm to push off on offense so much. It's getting called all the time. Uh, I think in the Knicks game in particular, uh, I think I even tweeted about it, about his decision-making. That game was not very good. Picking up some really bad fouls. Just doing some dumb stuff that yeah, – it, he's such a smart player in so many other ways. His feel for the game is so good. You'd love to see him cut some of that crap out. Yeah, he drove Monty absolutely nuts the last two games. New York, he was in foul trouble and you know gave away a couple more dumb fouls. And if you were watching Monty, you know he was just throwing his hands up in disgust and then mm-hmm. you know dragging him, not dragging him for the fouls, but he had to because he was in foul trouble yet again. So uh, that drove him nuts. And the clear path in the Boston game is just you know a guy like Devin Booker. He is still young, but he's just got to know better and and know the game situation a little bit better than that. But uh, the bad passes still, you know, we just upped yeah. his passing. Talked about how amazing it is, but you know, still three point eight turnovers. 
Um, you know, probably the last couple of years now, the assist to turnover ratio has been pretty much identical. You'd like to see either the assist go right up and, you know, we could talk about potential assists and things like that, which we have on the pod and how he's up there in the NBA for his teammates not making shots and, and giving him more assists. But I'd just love to see either one go up or, or one go down a little bit more, Max. Yeah, totally. I think you're the one who brought up the the tweet from the person who was talking about how Devin Booker has like the best assist passes in the league and also like, some of the worst. <laughs> yes. Um, and I think it's absolutely correct. And we both agreed last week that that's generally a good thing for a young player because at least he can make those really good passes. And mm-hmm. you hope that over time, especially the, the fact that Devin Booker hasn't played in a lot of high level situations in his career. I feel like as the games keep being more and more important, he'll he'll learn more how to control himself. And how to not make the dumb fouls and not make the dumb passes. That's part, you know, when you're a 19 win team throughout a season, that you're it's just the stakes aren't very high. Yeah, you're doing stuff like that. So I hopefully that's that's kind of what gets him there. But yeah, I mean we're nitpicking here. Overall, it's just incredible. Uh, my favorite my favorite Devin Booker stat right now is his uh, is like layup percentage. David is zero to three feet field goal percentage, which is 75 percent mm-hmm. right now, <laughs> which is just that's Giannis on his Kubo stuff, dude. It doesn't even make sense, David. He just finishes so well. He's got all the tricks. Uh, you know, the, even the it wasn't a layup, but the double clutch that he had against oh, yeah. Boston on the baseline. You know, almost perfect defense. That's just soul destroying stuff as a defender. You play perfect defense, and he just hangs a little bit longer than you and hits it. And uh, for anyone who saw that or wants to go back and watch it, just watch the bench. And I think it's Javon Carter and Tyler Johnson who put their hands on their head and just can't believe what they've seen, which is was most of us watching that one. But what would you score his defense out of 10 relative to expectations for the season, Max? Just curious. It's a good question. It's, it's you know, it's one of those things that's gone up and down throughout the season. And that's going to be a theme as we go through this going on. Uh, but I think relative to expectations, maybe like a seven, six or yep. a seven. Yep. He's actually showing some effort on that end sometimes. Uh, he had a really nice seal in the Boston game, I think against Hayward. Yes. Uh, which is you like to see from him. Um, but, you know, overall, he's still not a good defender. So it's hard to go higher than that. Yeah, just a bit more engaged on that end. Still has his slip ups and, and gets beat back door a little bit. But he, you know, has had more moments this year. So, again, hopefully that keeps trending in the right direction, Max. You'd really like to see his steals go up, right? Because even bad defenders can get steals if they're on the yes. court a lot. Yep. Uh, and he just doesn't really get them. I'm not sure if that's because of the wingspan or just not really paying attention to it, but that's something I'd like to uh, see him improve. Uh, anything else on Devin Booker, or do you want to move on to uh, somebody else? Let's move on. Let's do DeAndre Ayton, David. Uh, this was an interesting one for me. The score definitely bumped up recently, which I think I took recent play more into account with him because of the small sample size. Yeah. Uh, eight for me, David. I have an eight for DeAndre Ayton. We agree. First time so far. It would be interesting to see how many we have the same score for. But uh, yeah, I'm an A and we should get it out of the way straight away. I think, you know, we might look back on his suspension as being the biggest reason that the Suns missed the playoffs. So I don't want to get like let him off for that. And some people, you know, thinking about these grades might want to put the suspension uh, into context. I'm I'm just going with the play. I think, you know, I'm moving on from that. Uh, And I think, you know, so far it's been an eight out of 10. I think it's been pretty much everything that we would have wanted him to, you know, start the season with. Uh, And maybe even though we might look on that suspension as being a a negative to the Suns playoff chances, you know, maybe just maybe it it was something that, uh, you know, had a positive outcome for DeAndre Ayton in terms of the way he's come back and and shown himself uh, so far this season in the purple and orange, Max. 
Yeah, it did seem like it was a bit of a reality check for him. I, I think it did do some good for him. I still would prefer it not have happened, but <laughs> I, th- I think it is something that, that helped him. Uh, and if, if we're just grading on the last two games, it would probably be a 10, David. I, I just, all we've wanted from him the whole time he's been a son, and even back at U of A, I think the big criticism of him was just the aggressiveness wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Um, and don't get me wrong, there are still some issues. He's still, the mid-range is still a problem. He's, he's taking too many of those junk shots. Uh, his field goal percentage is actually down from 58.5 last season to 53.4 this season so far. Uh, he Also, he had some struggle finishing in the Boston game. Uh, he missed a lot of bunnies in that game, in the second half especially, which is hard he to killed. see. Overall... He killed Booker's triple-double with that left-handed yeah. layup. Uh, just, yeah, I hope they ribbed him about that one because, uh, yeah, that was uh, Booker's best chance at, at getting that last assist. You got to make that play, DeAndre. Come on. Uh, <laughs> per, per 36, though, I think the blocks going from 1.1 to 1.9 is a huge number. Mm-hmm. Uh, you love seeing that. The the rebounds going from 12 to 14.1. Again, I think 14.1 rebounds for 36. Like That's where it starts to be like really impactful rebounding. So you like to see that. Uh, the free throw attempts have been a big problem this season, David. Uh, the Boston game was, was a nice was a nice aside from that, but he's got to average more than whatever he's averaging right now, like 2.1 or whatever it is. Yeah, I think they're putting him in some spots now where we, we should hopefully see that go up if he's a little yeah. bit more aggressive. You know, the Boston game, it is only one game, but it, you know, being the last game, we're hoping that it's going to be a window into you know his play going forward. But you highlighted on Twitter... Uh, the the little uh, fake DHO handoff and and attack the basket, mm-hmm. dri- take one or two dribble, dribbles and um, make a move. Didn't finish it, but you know we, that's not really the point with DeAndre at the moment. We just love seeing him do that. You know he put the ball down on the floor uh, from the elbow a couple of times as well, which just really draws the defense and and gets shooters like Mikhail wide open when he does that. So, you know, they've noted that he's doing a lot of film with Mark Bryant. So hopefully these are just the things that they're showing him and, and that gives him all the encouragement in the world to to keep doing it. Because, you know, I've tried to highlight as much as possible, even when he's not getting the touches, his gravity and role on this team for getting the offense going, it, you know, there's probably no one more impactful you know, even de- including Devin Booker on this team when they're playing that way. It's just incredible the gravity that he has and how much he changes defenses on the offensive end, Max. Absolutely, especially when the two are working together. And I still think they're underutilizing the Devin Booker, DeAndre, and pick and roll. I would love to see the points for possession on that because it feels like it's a million. I, it's, <laughs> they score every single time when they do that thing. I, it's just, it's so devastating when they do it because when Aiton's rolling and Booker's got the ball coming off the screen, it's like, you can't really guard that, David. It's very hard. Uh, Booker could just throw it, you know, nine feet in the air, and eight, and if he doesn't dunk it, will at least come down with it. Generally, yeah, it's just a really hard thing to defend. I'd like to see them use it more, but yeah, I guess final thought on Aiton would be uh, the defense we should probably get into, and we, yes. we talked about this a little bit earlier. It's just he's not, it's not even like he's making incredible reads on defense or anything. He's just doing the simple stuff. He's just being in the way. He's just like not letting players blow by him nearly as much as he was last season. Mm-hmm. You can only think of a couple times he did in the game against Boston and. The impact that you have when you have a seven footer like him with that wingspan, just in the right position all the time, who's actually athletic and can you know affect shots to the rim, it's just massive, David. This is what we've been talking about. This is why we've got so frustrated. I know people have you know hated on us, hating on DeAndre Ayton, but you know it's because it was so simple. How many times last year did we talk about you know just getting your hands up, being in the right position? You know you're a giant human. It's actually really hard for guys to finish over you. You don't have to block every shot. That's not what we're asking of DeAndre Ayton, and that's what we've seen this season. He's just in the right spot more often 
than he used to be. He's putting his hands up. Um, you know, they're having to go to things like getting him out in space in pick and roll to exploit him, which, as I said during the week, like, see that as a compliment. That's how he's going to learn even more. But the fact that he's just in the right spot most of the time, affecting so many shots around the rim, still able to go out and chase guards for four or five seconds of possession as well and, and finish off possessions that way. I love that, you know, he's challenging threes and then just leaking down the court. I think someone's someone's told him that. that that's a very clear, like, if you challenge a three-point shot, just keep running because they've hit him on so many, I shouldn't say so many, but a lot of leak outs so far, which is just really awesome. And he's altering shots out on the perimeter. But, you know, the, the defense was noticeable straight away from, you know, game one before he yep. got suspended. We, we could see it. It was a very tangible thing that you could see that something had clicked. Um, you know, I tweeted about this during the week. I don't know, and unless... Aiton talks on it himself. I don't know how much credit we can give to, you know, just time, uh, his old coaches or his new coaches. I, I would say it's probably a third each to all of those things. We're just seeing as he goes along, he's he's learning where he needs to be. And it, it's just great to see. I'm just loving that side of the ball. Uh, and I'm loving the really recent uh, aggression from him as well. And his teammates love it too. You know, Booker got yep. right into him in that Boston game, which is, it's really, you know, I love those moments. They're, they're quite heartwarming for me because, you know, as someone that sits on the other side of the world, just watching the broadcast, they're my little windows into the fact that, you know, we're not wrong. All these things that we've been talking about clearly bother the team as well or uh, are in the team's thinking. Because when you see Booker react that way to an and one opportunity, it's very clear that he wants to encourage him to be more aggressive as well. And that's all we've been doing. We, we just want to see this more from DeAndre because we know he's capable of it. Yeah, exactly. That's why like, all these people more on Twitter than the podcast like, just call us haters for on DeAndre Ayton. It's like, we don't hate him. We just want him to be good. We, we're not going to like pretend he's good just because it makes uh, Suns fans feel good and warm inside. When to he be plays fair, well, we're going to give him the credit, and he's playing well now. Yeah, go ahead. Exactly. To be fair, I don't think anyone that's throwing it that at us these days actually listens to the podcast, Max. I, I think <laughs> our listeners that listen know that we, you know, we talk about Aiton in, in pretty glowing terms when he plays well. And to end that, I suppose I wanted to throw the question. I, I alluded to it before with Mikhail at the top of the show, but you know, other than trading for a, you know bonafide current all-star, not an old all-star like Kevin Love or something like that. It, it's quite clear, right, that, you know, DeAndre's improvement is the biggest variable to this team making a jump. Yeah, it's not even close, I wouldn't say. I think that, you know, we saw it in the last two games, right? They were a different team, especially against New York. Like, that was a different team than we saw all season. That's a higher ceiling mm -hmm. than we've seen from them. And uh, it's all because of him, man. If he can impact the game on both ends the way he did in that game, uh, the sky's the limit then because at that point you, you, the thing the Suns have kind of lacked since Amari I guess is like a real physical dominating force mm -hmm. who can take over games that way it's just it's something in the NBA it's so key to have and that's only DeAndre could be that I mean Devin Booker's dominating in his own way but DeAndre is the physical freak who could who could change the ceiling of the team and, and so yeah absolutely don't you think Yep, agree with you 100%. Let's end the uh, big ticket items here uh, with new dad, Ricky Rubio, Max. Ricky Rubio, one of the harder ones to grade for me, Dave. I don't know about yes, you. Yes, very, uh, very difficult. Ended up giving him a six, actually. Ooh. The inconsistency, the shot selection was poor. And again, this is based on expectations, and I know Ricky Rubio is good. I knew before the season started he was good at basketball. Um, he's been such a stabilizing force that I, you know, I think he definitely needed to be on the positive side of things, but, uh, just, just purely compared to where I thought he was going to be a six for me, David. 
I love that we are so different on this one because it's hopefully going to have some good conversation after I give my rating, which is a nine. Wow, really? That's really interesting to me. So you think he's had like almost the best possible season blowing away your previous expectations? I think he is what he is and he's showing that. You know, he's even had, he's got career highs at the moment in points and assists. So he's, he's been everything that I knew Ricky Rubio to be and possibly a little bit more. Uh, and then the intangible stuff and, and an impact on this team uh, weighs heavily into my rating as well, Max. Yeah, no, I, I think that's all fair. I just, maybe it's just that I expected some of that stuff is the reason why I didn't have it quite as high. I mean, mm-hmm. for me, it's really the, you know, he's still at a 51% true shooting. The scoring from him is just, it's really poor. We knew that going in, but again, this is about whether or not my expectations were exceeded or not. Mm-hmm. And he's been about the same score I thought he would be, maybe even a little bit worse than I was hoping he would be. Um, but yeah, in terms of the stabilizing thing, in terms of the assists, the, 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 the production, we, we both hypothesized that it might be better on this scene than it has been recently. And he, he's done that. So maybe it's a little unfair to you know to, to give him a six here because he he kind of is achieving the optimistic view of what we had for him before the season. So maybe he should be more like a seven or something like that. But I I hesitate to go to a nine, David. For a nine for Ricky Rubio to me would have to be a near All Star performance. I think that's fair enough. And again, we're gonna t- touch on it a bit. Everyone's voted a little bit differently here. I I wouldn't back down from your vote either. I think you know a, a six can be talked about. Um, you know, in the right context and and be justified. You know, I think there's a lot of frustration with Ricky Rubio when he doesn't play well or he's not hitting shots or, you know, he's forcing shots. And, you know, I think, you know, there's a genuine conversation. He's a he's a floor raiser, but, you know, is he a, a ceiling raiser, Max? You know, I think assuming that everyone takes the leaps that we want them to, you know, there is a fair question around, you know, what's the ceiling of a team with Ricky Rubio as the starting point guard? I think that's a very, very fair question to to ask. I'm not sure if you've got an answer to that, but, you know, I, as well as I've rated him, I, I do think that, you know, they, they might have a ceiling of, you know, first round knockout or something, uh, particularly with his age, you know, he's probably only going to be this player. Uh, he's not going to make another huge leap himself and, and all of a sudden be an amazing three-point shooter or anything. So, you know, maybe I've been a, a little bit too nice to him coming off the back of, you know, terrible seasons and terrible point guard play, but I'm just, in, I'm really enjoying having a, a, a good, competent uh, point guard on the floor. And, and that's why my rating's so high, Max. Yeah, totally. And to address your question, I do think there's a ceiling with Ricky Rubio and it may be a first round exit, but I think kind of the point of him is not to be, you know, the point guard on the on the championship Phoenix Suns. The point of him is to be, you know, the bridge that gets us towards there, you know? Exactly. Uh, we weren't you can't develop Devin Booker, Mikel Bridges, and DeAndre Ayton in a system that starts as a candidate point guard. You just can't. Uh, they had to get somebody who could actually be an adult and the, the you know, uh, I hate this term, but I use it with him all the time because he deserves a floor general. Yep. They, they had to have that. They got it for him. And I think they will look to transition to whether it's, you know, Jalen McHugh or <laughs> Ty Jerome or whoever they draft in this draft or, you know, whoever. They're going to have to get somebody younger and a little more on the same timeline as these guys yep. uh, to be the point guard. But I think, you know, he's the perfect bridge player. I love that you brought up Mikhail Booker and, and Aiton there because I think, you know, Booker's hopefully going to be an all-star this year on the back of, you know, better team play and him maybe taking mm-hmm. a small leap himself, even though we think that, you know, he's just being the player that he uh, was always working into. He, he hasn't just come out of nowhere with this play this season. So Rubio's helped towards that. Uh, we've noted the last couple of pods, the effect that he's had on Mikhail Bridges. It's just ridiculous. 
quite frankly, how much better Mikhail is on the floor uh, with Ricky Rubio, which is a maybe another argument for him starting. Uh, and then it leads to Aiton. I think for these last 40 games, you know, other than keeping one small eye on the playoffs and, and hopefully that keeps us entertained for most of the rest of the season, I really want to see the, the chemistry between DeAndre uh, and Ricky Rubio and, and see if he can really raise Aiton up as a player for the rest of the season, Max. Yep. No, absolutely. I think that's the, uh, the key to his presence on this team in general. Uh, should we move on to the next group of guys? The, you have them termed as kind of the role players? Yeah, let's let's bounce around and we can spend more time on, on some than others. But uh, that's the section where we're moving into here, guys. Dario Saric, another one I thought was kind of difficult to grade. I ended up going with the six. Again, relative to my expectations for the season, I think he's been better than I thought he was going to be, but just not a ton better. Yep, I agree with you on the six. Much maligned uh, within the, the fan base, I think. Uh, the, the benching stuff was just really weird. Uh, yeah. Hopefully, Monty just takes the L on that one and, and realizes he's made a, a little bit more of a mistake. But again, we're, we're talking about the last two games a lot, which is a, a sneaky trap to fall into uh, on the eve of a, a game against the Spurs here tonight. But you know, the last two games are, are kind of the window into what he can do. 12 points, 8.5 boards, and four assists. I just think that that Dario is like the perfect fifth starter on this team at the moment, Max. Yep, I agree. I said earlier that I think he's kind of being the glue guy that we needed, uh, him and Mikel. So definitely definitely on the positive side of five. I hope he trends more towards how he's been playing lately. There has been some slumps with him. Uh, and I agree with you. The, the benching was absurd. I really hope that we're not going to see any more uh, chicanery like that, David. Is there any way to answer the what is future in Phoenix's question right now, or, or we do, do we need the last 40 games? Oh, man, it's such a hard one. I think we need the last 40 games, David. Yeah. I really do. I think right now it's, it's up in the air. I mean, if you would have asked me last week, I, I think I said no chance last week, and now it feels <laughs> like you know he's the perfect guy to have as a, as a guy around long term, so I have no idea, David. It, again, these, some of these guys are swinging wildly. And uh, let's get to another guy who swung wildly, David. How about Mikel Bridges? What do you got for him? I've got a seven. How about you? I have a five. Uh, and the reason why is because if you asked me this two weeks ago, I would have had like a three. So yep. I need to keep things in perspective. If you asked me about the last two games, I would say a nine. So like I need to be <laughs> I need to keep things in perspective. Uh, I, I really hope we're going to see an eight or a nine from him for the rest of the season. I hope Boston is a preview of things to come. And, and not just Boston. I mean, he has been a lot better in the Atlanta game, New York game. He's been good lately. Uh, but the Boston, as you say, was his breakout game. I hope we see that the rest of the season. We see, you know, obviously not quite that good, but, you know, more like that than we've seen in the past. He mm-hmm. actually makes threes. He actually does stuff on offense. Uh, but I, I have a hard time based on my expectations of him, David. I was somebody who said he looked like a star in preseason. Yeah. So it's hard for me to go above a five. Yeah, I think, you know, I've got the question for you here. Is he the exact same player as 18-19 season? Oh, that's really interesting. Because um, I looked I looked at his hmm. stats to, to let you think about it a little bit, but I looked at his stats and they're pretty much identical other than a, a percentage efficiency boost, but that's mostly because of the, the cuts from Rubio and the fact that he's shooting uh, less threes, which aren't taking his overall um, efficiency percentages down. But if you look at everything else, he... He's pretty much the same guy on on less minutes. So, you know, as positive as I am about Mikel, I totally understand that the people that wanted to see him uh, take a leap. You know, I think he's, uh, you know, showing more windows into things. You know, the the Boston shot 
uh, and then obviously the six threes as well. At the end of the day, it, it really all comes down to the shot overall, whether he takes a leap or not. But yeah, just a, a little bit of perspective there is I, I think he's pretty much the same guy that we saw in his rookie year. Thank you for giving me time to think about that. Offensively, <laughs> I agree. I think offensively, he's about the same. He's a little bit more efficient. Or mm-hmm. Actually, a decent amount more efficient, but but kind of a similar guy. I think defensively, he's a lot better than he okay. was. And he, yep. he was already pretty good. But he uh, he just is just you know all, every rookie sometimes has lapses and they, and they just get tired and you know rookie, it's hard to be a rookie in the NBA. I think you're seeing the effect of his offseason. Uh, uh, apparently a complete gem rat from everything we've heard. Yeah, um, I think you see it with him. He's stronger. He's more consistent. He's he's definitely the best defender on the team. I think without even a question. Mm-hmm. And he may have been last year, but it wasn't you know it wasn't with an exclamation mark like it is now. Does that make sense? Yeah, he got pushed around a lot in his rookie yeah. year. We, we noted that quite a lot as we went through the season on the pod. And yeah, didn't leave the Suns facility over the offseason. So clearly put on a little bit of strength there. Uh, but it all comes down to that defense and shot. If he becomes a, a 38% three-point shooter, I, I think you know he's a top 50 player easily in the NBA because of that defense and the perfect compliment to Booker and Aiton. So uh, another one, as we go through here, you know, just because I don't want to pin everyone's uh, rest of the season just on the playoffs, there's a lot of things to watch for this team going forward. And Mikel's definitely one of them, Max. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. If he can become a legit 3 and D guy, like we said earlier, that's, that is uh, one of the keys to this team becoming really uh, an actual playoff contender. Uh, but Aaron Baines, let's go to Aaron Baines, another one who I just struggled like hell to supergrade. <laughs> uh, I ended up going with a six for him, David. Yep. Just really buoyed by his start. I mean, he was like an MVP candidate in the first 14 games or whatever it was. Like, that was ridiculous. Uh, obviously, he was never going to keep that up. But it's unfortunate to see him fall off as far as he has, uh, especially offensively. And, you know, we're seeing some of his limitations as a defender even, too, the lack of athleticism. But overall, he's still really, really positive for us. I think he's a large part of what's helping Aiton. I ate even credits him. It's pretty obvious to see that from him. Uh, he had a moment from the bench last night. I can't remember after what play it was, but he was just going crazy, going wild. Any you brought this point up before that? Any thoughts of him like not being happy? If it's the case, it ain't, it ain't being shown. He's, he's an, f- an amazing teammate. He's the first guy celebrating and the first guy off the bench at a timeout, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't need to say any more on that. I was a six as well. Um, The grade definitely goes up for the hot start. uh, And also probably much like my Ricky Rubio one, it it kind of is – uh, Boyd, I'm going to say, because I, I love the difference in between how you you pronounce buoyed and I say Boyd. Uh, one of my favorite things about our, our different languages, Max. But, uh, you know, the, the leadership and locker room stuff and then the impact on Aiton, which I just think you can't, um, you know, remove from the conversation. I think after the Boston game or before the Boston game, there was a great quote from Brad Stevens, which you should go find if you haven't heard that one, guys. And then after the game, there was a quote directly from DeAndre Ayton about the effect that both Rubio and Baines have on him and the team. I think the team still values his D, even though, you know, he has dropped off uh, 33% from three on the season. So that's really dropped off as well. As you said, the only other thing I really wanted to note is he's 70 minutes away, Max, from his total minutes played for Boston last season. And you add that to the World Cup run, and I'm a little bit worried about him and Ricky Rubio. Uh, and we, we, you know, we're coming into a really important stretch, which we're going to discuss at the end of the show here. But, you know, I'm just worried. I think we need to find rest for, for these guys or it might backfire very, very soon. Uh, and I think the original plan, which is a guy we're going to get onto probably next, was for Franken and, and Baines to kind of 
give each other rests every every odd game here and there to, based on who was hot and who was not. But we just you know haven't had a chance to do that with Aiton suspension, Baines's injuries, and now Frank's injuries. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You'd really like to see Baines get some nights off, especially in like you know back to back situations, things like that. He shouldn't be playing as he is. He just kind of is out of necessity. So it's unfortunate. Uh, let's go ahead and move on to somebody you just mentioned, David Frank Kaminsky. Uh, obviously, he's been out for a little while now. And, and how much longer is he out again, David? You know, uh, I don't. I very like the Suns here. I don't think there's really a timetable on that, yeah. Max. That is a very Sunsy, not the release <laughs> one. But uh, I had him with a three, David. Uh, I had low expectations for him anyway. He just, he's not, he wasn't. So that stretch where we didn't have Baines or Aiton, he just, it was impossible, David. He just, he wasn't filling in that right. I realized that's not, that is not what he is supposed to do, really. But that was just such a bad stretch. He was, he just, I just don't think he's a very good NBA player, David. His offense hasn't been as good as I was hoping it was going to be. I knew his defense was going to suck. I don't know. I don't really want to harp on this too much. I just don't like him, David. <laughs> yeah, I'm a five, uh, and you know we're, we're the same on some here, and then wildly different on others. And I think it's you know just the way that we grade it on a curve here. But you know the reason I'm a five is look at his Phoenix numbers versus career numbers, and he's pretty much you know he is who he is. So yeah. uh, he's just giving us exactly what he is. Obviously, when he signed, you always hope that you get a bump like we have with Ricky Rubio or we did with Aaron Baines at the start, but that just hasn't come with Frank. He basically is just the same player uh, that he has been throughout his whole career. So again, I thought the original plan was to probably play him a lot more sparingly than what they've had to. Uh, you know, mix him up at the four and the five where they needed him from night to night, uh, give Baines a chop out every now and then when they don't really need a real physical guy off the bench at the five. Um, but, you know, they've missed him maybe a little bit recently just in terms of his shooting and spacing. Some of those games where we just couldn't hit the side of a barn, I, th I think we could have done with him. But, uh, yeah, not much more to say on Frank. He he's been relatively disappointing, and then the injury is just kind of salt into the wound there, Max. It is. Let's go to Tyler Johnson. Don't want to linger on this one either. I gave him a two, David. Uh, I'm a one. I, I had to give him a one. He, he has just been horrible. You look at his career numbers versus his uh, season. He's shooting 38% from the field, 27% from three. Uh, and he had a real opportunity to take a guard spot here at the start of the season, and he failed. Uh, and not only that, you know, it's probably more, um, you know, him getting exploited a little bit on defense, uh, terrible shot selection, I think, in some of the times that he has been given a chance. Uh, and, you know, probably the only excuse which I've brought up a couple of times is he has been poorly used or or often used as a bit of a Mr. Fix-It. So, but, you know, you, you just have to grade what you see. And uh, as someone who's been very positive about Tyler in the past, you know, I, I had to give him a, a very bad score here, Max. Yeah, it's hard, to, uh, it's hard to do anything else with him, unfortunately. Uh, let's move to Cam Johnson, another one that was hard for me. I gave him a six. Uh, he has been in and out of the rotation a little bit, but he's been pretty good for a rookie, and the shot's beautiful, so I'm going above five, David. Yep, I'm going seven. 40% from three on 4.4 attempts. Another guy who uh, is what he is, but you know he's done it from college to the pros, so that's always a positive uh, when you see that because you just don't know, even though there probably wasn't a guy uh, that you could – be confident in a skill translating more than Cam Johnson. And then he's shown some other flashes, you know, which, which you want to see from rookies in that time on the floor. You know, he's a pretty good team defender. Uh, he sneaks in for offensive boards, 1.7 per 36, uh, which is kind of my favorite thing about him and something that I always watch for. Um, you know, he's got good fluidity and transition, probably even better than what I was positive about. 
uh, in the pre-draft process, which has kind of been good to see. And sneaky athleticism. You know, he's got up for a couple of putbacks and, and dunks, which is kind of good to see for a guy that gets, you know, a lot of jokes made about, you know, his age and, uh, you know, how much he isn't an athlete, I suppose, and just a shooter. Uh, just need to see him kind of be set up a little bit more in set plays and things, and I think we'll really see it. And probably my favorite thing from the season so far is his chemistry with Mikhail. It's just like two high IQ guys knowing their games and, and working really well together. So I hope we, we see them a little bit uh, a little bit more. But I'll throw a question for you. The draft is a mess right now outside of, you know, Jar and uh, Zion's about to come back and probably show everyone how good he is. But, you know, what... What number best player can Cam maybe end up being in the in the 2019 draft, Max? Yeah, because the draft is so bad, the fact that he can shoot at his size alone could get him possibly towards the top five of this draft. Yep. Um, especially if he can develop a little bit more off the dribble and maybe you know become more of a scoring force than just a three-point shooter, which he's seen a little bit of that so far. Um, so yeah, no, I actually think he could be quite good for a long time. I, you know, I don't really see star potential with him, especially given his age, mm-hmm. but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm perfectly happy with, with, with getting him, uh, instead of some of the other guys who went in that range. Although, you know, some, some, some guys showing some signs of life, like Sakuta Boy has been pretty good mm-hmm. for the, the Pistons. Uh, even Rui's a little better than people thought he was going to be. Washington, obviously Brandon Clark's been great. So there, there's, it looks like this draft might have a decent number of role players. It's just a star. There's just no stars in it. Yeah, you just go through that lottery and even later, you know, I guess the the names even later in the 20s probably have a better chance right now based on what we've seen. But, you know, you, you couldn't argue to me that there's three definite other guys that make up a top five in, in three years' time that are above Cam Johnson right now, which is a positive. Absolutely. I want to clarify what I just said, though. I said no stars. I don't mean no stars. There are two obvious stars <laughs> in this draft. I just meant there's very few compared to what you generally think uh, a draft would have. In terms of that upside. Uh, let's go ahead and move on to Ty Jerome. I wanted to give him an incomplete, David. He's barely played. I gave him a two just because he hasn't been able to help and we thought he may be able to. Uh, the reason why he wasn't a one was probably because I actually thought he looked okay against Boston in the limited minutes. Didn't do a lot, but showed some of the smart stuff. Had a nice rebound. So gave him a two, David. Playing power forward against Boston yeah. as well. Yeah. <laughs> I gave him a three. Uh, I had my concerns, you know, just about his athleticism coming in and, and translating. And there hasn't been much to convince me otherwise just yet, but I haven't put a line through that. Not sure why he hasn't been playing in the G League a little bit more, to be yeah. honest. Uh, I think that would have, you know, he came in and really dominated. I watched his couple of games in the G League and he dominated, looked above the competition. But if he's not going to play night to night and you have other guard options on the bench, I, I think you've got to give him a stint at some point. Maybe we see that after the trade deadline or something like that. Um, you know, he hasn't been used very well either. I think he was, you know, thrown straight to the Wolves as the backup point guard. And then, you know, when Monty had seen enough that he wasn't capable of doing that, then he just hasn't been used at all. So I'd like to see him maybe try and use his shooting a little bit more, which we've noted on the pod a couple of times. But, you know, as the guy high on him, based on what you've seen so far, you know, what's his ceiling in the NBA still, Max, if everything goes right for Ty Jerome? I still think he could be a really helpful player. He's just such a smart a smart guy on the yep. court. He does so many smart things on both ends. I think it's going to be for him. The strength is going to be huge. He's never going to be fast. He's never going to be somebody who, you know, who's going to stick with people, uh, you know, on the perimeter or blow by people. He got, he's got to just get really, really, really strong and just use his height. And sort of like a, I always use the Andre Miller comp, but even a James Harden, like not anything close to James Harden. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> the fact that James Harden isn't, you know, he's just really, really, really freaking strong. 
I think that Tyron could become an okay post defender like James Harden is if he just gets yep. really, again, really, really strong. Because that's, that's, that's going to be how he's okay on defense. And then offensively, it's just getting to the point where he can use his brilliant IQ. Uh, and I actually think he, he hasn't been as smart on offense when he got more minutes before than I expected. I think largely he seems like somebody who's panicking a little bit. Yes. Uh, and I think that he just needs to get you know, more time. I think you're right up the G League point. It doesn't make a lot of sense to not have him there. Especially if you're not going to play him. I guess maybe now, maybe he'll play a little bit. I mean, I was surprised he played against Boston. Um, didn't play a lot, obviously. Like, I think it was just five minutes in the first half. But I'm wondering if that's time to come. Maybe maybe, uh, maybe Monty's seen things from him in practice. I know, remember, Devin Booker was really raving about him in practice yes. before the season started. So he, maybe it's one of these things where he looks really good in, in, in practice. And then maybe when the lights come on, he, he panics a little bit. And hopefully that'll smooth out. We'll see. I'm still pretty high on him, um, but I'd, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't disappointed with what I've seen so far. Yeah, he just looks a little overwhelmed by the pace of yeah. the game and when he comes in. And it's not easy for these guys when you just get thrown three minutes here and there to, to try and prove yourself. So, yeah, I think he's going to be fine long term. I still think it is absolute ceiling. You could be, you know, the, the number one guard off the bench in, in either spot if everything works out for him. So uh, let's just hope that he, he can, you know, be given a chance at some point to, to show that kind of IQ. And, and, yeah, I think with his size, as you said, he can definitely make up for some of his uh, weaknesses. But, Let's move on to what we're calling the rest after doing the rookies here, Max. Uh, and it is the last four players on the roster. I don't know about you. I don't have a lot to say about these guys, but I did make up a, a fake award for each of them to round out this section, Max. All right, why don't you go ahead and give me uh, your fake awards, and uh, I will, I'll just counter by giving my my score. <laughs> okay, I've given Okobo a five, and my award for him is, I can't believe you're still here, but I'm still kind of intrigued. I can't believe you gave him a five, David. I gave him an eight, and it was a question whether I was giving him a nine. We thought he might be cut, <laughs> David. We thought he might be cut, and he was like been contributing. That's true. That's true. Uh, anything else to say on a Cobra, or else I'll give you my Carter award. No, I, he's fine. He's not very good, but he's better than I thought he was going to be. So you know how we have the Dan Marley Hustle Award for the Suns, yes. Max? Uh, I'm going to give Javon Carter the I Appreciate the Hustle Ronnie Price Award, and that is that I really enjoy the hustle that he shows out on the court, but the results just don't show uh, as much as what you would hope for the amount of hustle, and I've given him a four. Again, I didn't think he was going to play, so I gave him an eight. <laughs> so I think I'm just grading. We're, just, we're doing this differently, I think. That's uh, all right. But uh, yeah, you know, I, I think he's a terrible decision maker, but I think he can shoot a little bit more than I thought he could. And uh, obviously defense is nice. So even hit some hit some big shots when the second unit was struggling in that Boston game. So yep. yeah, he definitely can shoot uh, a little bit better than some of our other guys on the team. Uh, Check Diallo, I've given the, you probably should have played more minutes. And I don't know if that's your fault or Monty's award. And I've given him a four as well, Max. Uh, again, gave him a seven. Didn't really think he was going to play very much. Think he's been okay. Uh, if there was a stretch there when he first started where he looked really good. Uh, now he's just kind of okay. So give him a seven again. Didn't think he was going to play. Yep. And Jalen Lequeu, uh, not applicable for a vote or a, a number here. Uh, but my award is be patient, young pup. I will say I loved uh, what we saw that burst in the New York game at the very end when he when he did something. And he missed a shot, but the burst is nice. That guy's really fast. If he can put it together uh, as far as shooting and, and feel, he could be a real special player. I'm not even kidding when yep. I say that. 
But uh, yeah, I, I can't agree with him because he hasn't played. <laughs> <laughs> Should we move on to Did You Know, Max? Yep, let's get started. Well, Max, with DeAndre Ayton setting his career high for rebounds the other night versus the Knicks, I thought we'd focus on all things rebounds for this episode. So did you know the record for rebounds in a single game was 55? Not quite 75 to match up with the episode number this week, which would have been nice, but I, can you tell me who once had 55 rebounds in a single damn game, Max? I mean, my only guess has to be Wilt Chamberlain. It was Wilt Chamberlain who had 31 in a half, but only 34 points in a loss for the Warriors against the Celtics. In fact, Max, another quick quiz for you. How many of the top rebound games do you think Wilt and Bill Russell share before another name is even mentioned? Oh God, it's probably a lot. I'm going to say like a dozen. <laughs> a dozen is right on the money. The answer is wow. 12. And then the name that come in comes in is Nate Thurman. And then there's another 12 Wilton Butt Bill games before anyone again. So yeah. those two share 52 of the top 56 rebounding games on the leaderboard. But in more modern times, since 1979, your leaderboard is Moses Malone, Charles Oakley, Kareem, Dennis Rodman, and Ronnie Seekley, with anywhere between 37 and 34 boards. Just below them, though, Max, sits a player who also sits in the leaderboard for most offensive boards in a game, 18, half, 13, and in a quarter, 11. Any guesses who that might be, Max? Ooh, Dennis Rodman? Ooh, Dennis Rodman's probably leading the leaderboard. They, I should point out, they're not all records for offensive oh, yeah. rebounds, but I am talking about none other than Charles Barkley, Max, who mm. had 33 rebounds for the Houston Rockets in a game that should be in Suns folklore of sorts. It was his first game against his previous team, the Phoenix Suns. Barkley's 25 defensive and eight offensive effort to go along with 20 points in 45 minutes was good enough for 110 95 win over the Suns on November 2, 1996. But Max, not only did Barkley get revenge in that game, he out-rebounded the entire Suns team, 33-30. to I'll give you five points per name here, Max. Can you name any of the Suns that recorded a rebound in a game in November of 1996, and there were eight of them? Uh, Kevin Johnson? No. Oh, uh, Elliot. Was that an Elliot Perry's in the team? Uh, no. I'm just going to give up, David. Why don't you tell me? <laughs> Wesley Person had 11. Michael Finley had five. Sam Cassell had four. AC Green had three. Robert Horry had five. Rex Chapman had one. Chucky Brown had one. And Steve Nash had one rebound. And wow. only two players that played and did not record a board in that game were Danny Ainge and Wayman Tisdale. What a roster that one was, Jesus Max. Christ. Wow. But more on the Sun specifically now, there are no Phoenix players on the leaderboard for most rebounds in a game in either the old or new eras, Max. Want to take a stab at how many boards Aiton needs in a game to become the record holder for the Suns? Ooh, interesting. Uh, I'll say 15. Hang on. Total oh, boards. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I think you're talking about average. <laughs> one game, one game. How many does he need in one game Got to it. be the record holder? Um, 28. Right on the money again. You're nailing it this Jeez. segment. 28 if he wants the outright lead. And I won't throw any more quizzes at you, Max, because you've had enough. But before I tell you <laughs> who sits in the leaders for Phoenix, what's your prediction on whether eight never gets 28 for the Suns? 
Uh, I'm gonna go with yes. I can I can see it, especially with the, the the pace of play these days, just how dominant the rebounder is. I can see it. Yep, I agree with you. So now it was Tyson Chandler who sits at the top with Paul Silas, both with 27 boards against Atlanta in 2016 and Cincinnati in 1971, respectively. Then there's the round mound of rebound Barkley with 26 in 95 against his future team, the Houston Rockets, followed by Neil Walk on 26 and Maurice Lucas on 25. Mm. As we know and have mentioned on this pod a lot over its history, not exactly a storied history of bigs in the desert, Max. But I mentioned Paul Silas, who holds the record for the most rebounds in a single season and for his Phoenix career, which is 12.1 for both. And it's Alvin Adams who holds the total rebound record with 6,937 in the purple and orange. So I'm going to predict that Aiton breaks that 12.1 single season record at some stage. He's actually at 12.3 this year, although I'm not sure whether he would qualify with missing a large portion of the season. And just a tiny bit of math for you this episode and the listeners, Max. I'm also going to predict that he leads the franchise in total rebounds because he's played... 83 games so far in his career, so essentially a full season, averaging 10.6 rebounds per game. Eight full seasons at 10.6 is 6,954, so just surpassing Alvin Adams. But Max, no more math as I don't have a number trick to get to episode 75 for us today, but I'll leave you with this. In 1975, the Suns made the finals and Alvin Adams, Garherd, and Curtis Perry all averaged nine boards or more for the season. So Max, let's talk about the Suns and how they might get over nine in the standings and make an impossible run to the NBA finals yet again, shall we? (laughs) I'm sure it's going to happen. It's obvious. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, let's do it. So let's start with the upcoming next six games, David. I'm just going to read them off because they're important. Yeah. We got the San Antonio Spurs at home, the Pacers at home, at the Spurs, at the Grizzlies, at the Mavericks, then the Thunder at home. David, there's a fair number of teams in that group who, uh, who matter to us. There are. And if you look at it even further, which we'll go into for the whole of February, which is quite tough. Uh, February, the first game is that OKC game that you mentioned, but we don't play another you know, Western Conference bubble team in the whole month of February. So this week coming up and, you know, the, the Spurs game might already, the first Spurs game might already be done by the time some people are listening to this, but uh, it, it is huge. You know, we talked yeah. about that Knicks to Knicks run being huge, but uh, they, they faltered a little bit there, but this one is even bigger because you've got, you know, double points games, as I like to call them coming up here against the Spurs, uh, Memphis and, and even OKC to some degree, Max. Yep, and the Suns have one of the hardest. It was the hardest before the Celtics game. I don't know if it still is, but at least one of the hardest schedules in the league remaining. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're going to have to win these double points games, uh, as you phrase them, because they're probably not going to have the best record among these teams remaining overall, I would guess. Um, so they're going to have to knock off some of their opponents, especially these two Spurs games. I mean, I would say uh, the Grizzlies and the Spurs are probably the most likely teams to get the eight seed right now just because the Grizzlies have that lead mm-hmm. on it, and the Spurs are right there. So if they can sweep the Spurs here, it would just be monumental for their playoff chances, David. Totally. And we owe them one from the Mexico game, and then then we should probably add another one on top of that just for good measure. So we'll definitely be hoping this week that they can win uh, both of those or at least split it, Max. And then they've they've really got to try and win that Memphis one. And if they can really get on a roll and, and win, you know, one of Indiana or Dallas. Dallas has been struggling a little bit recently, but you know it, it is a way. So uh, that'll be tough going into what is, as I said, a very, very tough 
February, which I'll just go over really quickly. There's six home games against the Thunder, Houston, Denver, the Warriors, the Clippers, and Detroit, and seven away games against Milwaukee, Brooklyn, Detroit, the Lakers, Toronto, Chicago, and Utah. That's eight of 13 against plus 500 teams max. And as I said before, zero games against bubble teams unless you count the Oklahoma City Thunder. Interestingly, though, we're 9 and 10 away from home so far this season. You know, a, a bit of a giveaway sometimes on playoff teams is whether they can hover around 500 away from home and then and then be better than that at home. Uh, we haven't been better than that at home so far this season, but uh, a good little tidbit uh, and still have the, the best net rating as well. So and there are a couple of things, um, you know, in our favor in terms of staying in that playoff hunt, Max. Yep, uh, I think there's a decent chance. I, mean, I think the Suns, when they're when they're playing well and they have all their guys, they probably are the best team among the teams vying for the eighth seed. The issue is just the hole they've dug in themselves now. Yeah. Uh, some, some like the loss to the you brought out the the loss to the Spurs. There's also the one to the Blazers that was by one. Or I think it was by one. And then there was a, there are a couple other ones. I, there's a Utah loss uh, that comes to mind. I think that, that one Denver loss. There's a you can't lose those type of games and make the play. That, those are really the swing games and. Unless they really start to have luck more favor them in those close games going forward, it's that's going to be a, a big differential between whether or not they make the playoffs or not, David. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, you look at a, a win like Boston, you want to get, you know, really excited about it, which I certainly was, but it's essentially just a makeup for, for some of those bad losses that they've had. And they probably need a few more of those big ones in February to make up for some of the bad ones that they've had, as you said. But I went and looked back at, at uh, our good friend Zona's article on uh win predictions for the season. I believe you said 35. Uh, I said 32 at the time, but I actually came up to 35 once I looked at the schedule properly. So, you know, we're, we're 18 after 42 here. So 40 games to go. Do you, do you want to change or are you still sitting in that range? No, I feel pretty good about that market. Right now. <laughs> I think it's exactly where they're going to land. Uh, I hope I'm wrong. I hope they can do a little bit better. They certainly were on pace for that earlier. And as of late, have been playing very well, obviously. Although we we need to keep in perspective, David. I mean, you've been harping on this since the, even before the season started. I think how this stretch of games was going to be our stretch. Mm-hmm. Um, they did okay against it. They did pretty well. You know, they did fine against it. They, they we would like to see them do a little better against it, to be honest. But you know, uh, we knew this was going to be a, kind of a good time, or at least hopefully, or else all the wheels would be coming off if it weren't. Um, so you know, we'll see how they can carry this into a stretch where they're playing better teams. Yeah, they probably didn't capitalize just as much as I would have yeah. hoped. They're probably just under expectations, even though it's a, a positive record overall. But uh, before we move on to the bubble teams, the Feb 6 trade deadline is coming up real quick. There's only actually nine Suns games to go before that deadline. So we haven't touched on the deadline. We'll probably uh, do that in, in the next episode or probably the one after that with the deadline so close, Max. But, you know, what do you think the Suns are going to do just to, I guess, tease a longer episode in the future. I've got some ideas around it, but, um, you know, nine games before that deadline, is there anything they can do to, to make a little bit of a run here in these hard stretches? I think they're more, much more likely to be buyers and sellers, for sure. Um, but I don't see them being big buyers. That would be a small thing, uh, I think, just like a, a minor upgrade, maybe like a, another four or something. But uh, I don't expect anything huge, do you? Yeah, we didn't grade James Jones or, or Monty here with our, uh, you know, mid-season scorecards. But, you know, I, I'm 
I'd like to see James Jones just fix the end of the roster here because, you know, we've seen it in the past with, you know, even drafting Dragon Bender and, and Marquise Chris together. It's like, it's just not a good idea to have four guards at the end of your bench because when you are a little bit short, then Monty has to roll out a four guard lineup with Baines and, and you lose a 10-0 run in, you know, a minute and a half or whatever it was. So, you know, James is, has got to fix that at some point. You know, they know more than us, Max, that they've got to make decisions on these guards and, and make a choice on who they think actually has the best future with the team, not just hold on to all of them, hoping that, you know, one eventually proves them right and then they can get rid of the rest. It's just all out of whack at the moment. And probably my biggest criticism on, on James and, you know, my rotations are, are probably the biggest criticism on Monty, but, you know, he's kind of hands are tied a little bit there. Yeah, you're right. Uh, I, I should have said guard rather than forward. They, what they really need is a third guard who can consistently play, you know, 20 minutes for them. Uh, Okobo is just not quite ready for that role yet. He's been okay, but, you know, he's probably our best option right now, but that's, not, yep. that's just kind of showing how bad our options are. Javon's been doing it a little bit. Uh, obviously, we talked about Ty Jerome. He's not there. They need to consolidate some of that into, uh, you know, more of a veteran guy, some sort of a rental. And maybe some team will be willing to take on, you know, Okobo and Javon uh, for that, just to, you know, take a look at it. Um, that's, that's definitely what they need to stabilize things the most because, you know, uh, I think Chris Hansen was pointing this out on Twitter. When Devin Booker hasn't been on the floor, uh, even over these last 10 games, the Suns have been really bad, David. Um, and they, I mean, they've been awesome enough with him on the floor to win a bunch of games, but the, the guard situation is, is definitely their biggest problem. Yep, they need to fix it. So hopefully, you know, I'm not expecting major trades or major swings here. I know a lot of Suns fans are still hoping for it. We get excited around the deadline, but, you know, just a, a small tinker to... Uh, give them a little bit more of a bench here for the rest of the season would probably uh, be the smart move. But we should finish off here with just a, a bit more of a discussion on on the bubble teams and and who we think they are, Max. I've put them into to three tiers if you want me to rattle them off and, and you can say whether you disagree or not. Sure. Give it to me. My, my first tier is the just want to wait for the deadline tier. I'm just not sure that we should totally, uh, you know, disclude or, or remove OKC uh, in their own tier here, to potentially opening up an extra playoff spot. What, what's your thoughts on that? I would be shocked if OKC didn't make the playoffs. I okay. I don't think they're going to sell. I don't see why they would. Um, I mean, what are they going to sell? Obviously, Chris Paul is not tradable, really. Uh, Danilo Gallinari is the one talked about so much, but I don't really see why they wouldn't try to re-sign him and maybe trade him down the line on a, on a decent contract or something. Uh, I mean, you know, they're, they're just they're, what they're doing right now, and, and they, their fans care about this, man. This is cool. They're they're twenty four and nineteen. They're a good team. They're fun to watch too. Uh, this is really it's great developmental minutes for Shea Gillis Alexander. I just don't understand why they would sell at all. So I, I I fully expect to make the playoffs. Yeah, I largely agree with you. I, I just want to wait that two weeks just to to wait and see. Yeah. But my second tier is. The, the tier that's all but eliminated unless they do something drastic before the deadline, and that is the Kings and Minnesota, both with a, a negative 3.3 point differential, the worst of all these teams that we're, we're discussing. And I think we, you know, we've done this a lot and eliminated teams and they've come back from the dead so far this season, but uh, I, they just don't look like playoff teams at all to me. I agree with where you put them in the tier. I also agree with you that we can't write them off. We can't write anybody off. We, we, we wrote Memphis <laughs> off, obviously. That was a mistake. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, yeah, I, I think they have the, less, the least chance of these teams to make the playoffs for sure. Um, but, you know, I'm not going to rule out Carl Anthony Towns. I guess if I had to pick one of them, I'd, 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 I'd pick Minnesota. Sacramento does feel pretty dead in the water. Yep. And then the final tier, uh, and unfortunately it's still a big one, including Phoenix. I've got the new and improved bubble team, 
uh, version 15.0. Uh, as we've said, this has changed quite a lot and uh, teams just keep coming back from the dead. So I've got uh, the Grizzlies and the Spurs, as you mentioned before, Phoenix sitting in the middle, and then Portland uh, and the New Orleans Pelicans. So that's five into one or maybe six into two if my prediction or, or hope with OKC comes to fruition, Max. It's such an interesting tier. I kind of feel like they all have kind of the same odds of making it, weirdly. Yep. Uh, I think all teams have arguments for them. You know, obviously Memphis is playing the best right now. The Spurs have the, the history. Portland has Damian Lillard. Uh, and the Pelicans, you know, Zion's looming. And then, of course, the Suns, are, they've been the best team of these teams so far this season. They have the best point differential. I think you said they have the best net rating. Uh, Devin Booker is playing like he might be the best player on the, any of these teams right now. So, you know, I think, I think you can make an argument for any of the teams. It's going to be really fascinating to see it shake out. Uh, I hope it doesn't end in great disappointment for us, David. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. But, yeah, glad we kind of agree on that final tier. Uh, and I think, you know, that's the, the teams we have to watch out for at the moment. There's still probably a lot that's going to change here. But, uh, you know, ranking them, I'd probably put them in order of the way that I listed them there, which is very much in line with what you said, I think, of Memphis and the Spurs being the the kind of Monty's at the moment uh, with uh, Phoenix sitting right in the middle there. And then a couple of uh, real threats behind us who have the the kind of star power, I suppose. So uh, yeah, it, it's going to keep it fun. And, and, you know, really I've changed my expectations or hopes really. I'm just, I'm hoping that the, the Suns can keep us interested in that conversation for as long as the season goes on for and uh, don't move into development mode or anything like that, particularly with the, um, you know, deadline, Coming up, I don't think you're going to see us be sellers or anything like that. I think we're, we're going to go for it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'd, I'd rather see Aiton and Mikel continue to do this than make the playoffs, to be honest with you. And if we can make the playoffs because Aiton and Mikel continue to do this, all the better. It, it, that's definitely the most important thing, right, is that these guys look like they look like in Boston and New York. Yep, let's move on, Max. Okay, yeah, actually, uh, my, my last question, or my first seven seconds or less question ties into this. So are you ready for that? Awesome, let's do it. All right, seven seconds or less. He has seven seconds or less to answer three questions for which uh, he has not prepared. Uh, I'm about to ask him right now, David. Ready for uh, question number one? I sure am. Question number one, who actually does get the eighth seed among the West Kingdom? I know you ranked them, but in your heart, <laughs> in your gut, who actually gets the eighth seed? Uh, you know, it, this might change drastically if we beat them a couple of times this week, but uh, my mind is on the Spurs at the moment, just with uh, DeMar DeRozan playing as well as he is, LaMarcus Aldridge changing his game a little bit, uh, and the best coach of the group, at least, maybe not the entire NBA. So uh, I'm not betting against the Spurs right now, Max. Yep, they're playing a lot better now. They look like the team that's coming on. We'll see. Uh, it'd be a cool story if Memphis held on to it. Obviously, it'd be the best story if Phoenix did it, but I'm with you, San Antonio. Uh, all right, next question. This is more trade deadline related. Would you trade Cam Johnson for a vet rental if you knew it would guarantee us the eighth seed? No chance in hell. Cam Johnson is a long-term piece on this uh, team, if not a... I guess, throw in to a much, much bigger deal that isn't a rental. So, no, nah, I'm not chasing the eighth seed to, you know, get beaten in five games by the Lakers uh, with a move like that. No way. Agree. Final question. Earlier this year, you, Calvin, and I on this podcast all said we'd rather keep Cam Johnson than Mikel Bridges. Have you changed your mind on that one, David? Yes. Uh, I, I, I hate myself for even answering the other way the first time. I just think Mikel at his ceiling is the perfect compliment 
Uh, and I think that's why they made the move on draft day that they did for Mikhail. So I uh, love Cam Johnson. He's going to have his own role on this team as a, a role player around those big two. But Mikhail can be a, a bona fide third piece uh, with his defense. So uh, I would go Mikhail at the moment. It's a nice lesson to us on the importance of looking out for recency bias. Right? <laughs> uh, yes. We were obviously captured in a moment of Mikel's barely playing. It looked, it looked bad for him. Cam was shooting well, and we just you know fell in love with what we were seeing then. It was probably always Mikel's the right answer. So just want to point out to those people who think I, I don't admit when I'm wrong, we don't admit when we're wrong. We were very wrong about that, David. I'm far from perfect, Max. I make a lot of mistakes as do the rest of us human beings. But uh, that is it for us. Please rate, review, and subscribe. We appreciate it. David, anything else? No reviews. I'd encourage people to get them through if you're still thinking about it because we love to read them out and love the feedback more than anything. So uh, shoot those through. Uh, We've already touched on the big week coming up, so I'll just say go Suns, Max. Go Suns. If your name is Max36684, please feel free to uh, review us. (laughs) Thanks, everybody.